It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Vikings. Your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. Sam Ekstrom and Sage Rosenfels on Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network, episode number 262, a chilly Wednesday morning in Minneapolis. Find us on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18. Subscribe on iTunes if you please. Sage, first of all, how are you doing this morning? What, what's new? I'm doing great. Just got back from Minneapolis uh, over the weekend after the Iowa State uh, call and uh, stopped by a little Iowa State practice yesterday. It's Hawkeye week and uh, back in town, back in Omaha uh, today. So ready to go for another week and and, uh, kids activities this weekend. Are you calling the Hawkeyes game or are you calling another game after that? Uh, No, not as of right now. I wish I was calling the Hawkeyes game. That'd be a lot of fun, but uh, I will be. Uh, taking the uh, my Rugrats over to Ames, Iowa uh, for that game. Um, it's not too often that it seems like it's easy to get to, and, and uh, there's not a ton going on um, with, with kid stuff. So uh, should be should be a nice week, and hopefully the weather's cool like it is uh, like it is today. So I've got a question for you about lockers of all things, about lockers. Yesterday, we were in the Winter Park locker room, actually for the first time all year. Usually, we interview the players outside the locker room, but then when they cut the roster down, we're allowed in. So, we were in there for the first time yesterday, and I I tweeted out sort of innocuously, didn't think it was that big a deal, that Teddy Bridgewater has assumed the corner veterans locker that Adrian Peterson once inhabited. And it's a special locker because if you're in that corner, you get a little bit more space because I think you're next to an empty locker, so you have some more room on that side. And then Corey Stringer's empty locker, which is still commemorating his life, that's adjacent to that corner. So there's a lot of space for that person, and and Adrian Peterson had that prior, and it's been given to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I tweeted that out, and it got a whole bunch of traction with a lot of people thinking this is extremely significant, that they chose to give this locker to Bridgewater. You know, that means that they value Bridgewater. That means he's going to be there for a long time. And I don't know what to think about that, and I figured you'd be as good a resource as anybody to answer questions about locker hierarchy. How are those decisions made? Is there any real thought that goes into it? Well, for... For that locker, I mean, the, obviously the, the players don't make decisions where the lockers are. The equipment managers do, and the reason they and they they do choose, you know, uh, those spots for a reason. And every team does it differently. You know, playing for the Giants uh, and and the Dolphins, um, those teams and the Texans, those teams group the lockers uh, by position. So you know, in Houston, I was next to Matt Schaub. Uh, in Miami, I was next to Jay Fiedler. 
Um, and uh, and so everyone's different. The Vikings don't do that. The Vikings it's sort of just sporadic uh, throughout the locker room. Now, having said that, they do try to put these sort of marquee players uh, in certain positions because they know, in particular quarterbacks, but they know that you know during those uh, open locker media sessions there might be you know ten or, or twenty media people uh, you know crowding around that one player just to get that uh, you know two to three minute interview and you know if that player's stuck in a tight corner with other players right around them uh, it's impossible for the other players to you know get to their lockers get dressed for practice and all those types of things so they try to uh, for those marquee players, they try to give them sort of the, these key locations that have a little extra space. So you don't think this is necessarily a sign that Teddy Bridgewater is their choice as the quarterback long term. This is more more it's so a, of a logistical detail. It's a sign that Teddy Bridgewater uh, has a lot of people interview him. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, we'll have to pump the brakes then on the entire Twitter sphere and get people back in reality. The, the the equipment guys, uh, you know, God bless them, have nothing. They, they they I don't know if you realize this, but they're not up in Rick Spielman's meetings as far as who is what? being signed they're and who is being recent. No, they're not. They're, those guys uh, are not in those meetings. But uh, but they, I mean, they have their favorites too, and they have guys that they probably wish they could give longer term contracts to. They probably have a lot of guys they wish they could cut. Uh, as well, so now that they try to just figure out what's best, uh, obviously for for this year and and, uh, and and what's best for really the the teammates of that player. It's not really actually just the player; it's really the teammates because it, it's I've been believe me as the backup quarterback. Uh, you, you many times you're trying to get to your locker, and there's you know thirty. Uh, 30 reporters standing around in, in front of your locker, and, and you're just trying to get your shoes on for practice, and they're interviewing the starting quarterback. So uh, I've been there. I've been that guy next to the famous player, uh, you know, struggling to get his stuff out of his locker. Yep. And as a reporter, you always feel awkward, kind of cramping someone else's space. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get that interview. You know, we also talked to Xavier Rhodes and Dalvin Cook yesterday, a couple guys with Florida connections. And the focus is sort of shifting now from Houston to Florida, where this new hurricane is bearing down. And this Bucks dolphins game, I think they're going to reschedule it to the middle of the season. They're basically taking away their bye weeks because they're not going to be able to play it. For example, for reference, yesterday, there were maybe 20-mile-an-hour winds gusts at Winter Park. It was a windy day. And the quarterbacks were having a hard time connecting with their receivers, even in the drills. Can you imagine having to play that game in 70-mile-an-hour winds as uh, they thought they might have to for a while? Well, not only that, uh, it's dangerous. I mean, things are starting to fly around at, at that speed and, and you know, palm tree leaves and, and all types of things like that. Uh, things start to fly around. Uh, so it ends up being dangerous to the fans, uh, you know, almost more than the players. I mean, I, I've played Miami for four years, played in Houston for three years. It seemed like every year there was uh, a hurricane uh, approaching and we had to shutter up the house. And, and uh, you know, sometimes the, the hurricane would, would change and go into the Gulf of Mexico. Sometimes it would go north up to the up the East Coast, and then sometimes a couple times it went right over us. So uh, I've been there, and it's it's a it's a pain for the players. Uh, it's it's a part of the situation of, of playing for the Miami Dolphins or, or really playing for Tampa Bay too, uh, on the other side. And um, I, they're actually just very lucky that they have the same bye week in Week 11 
uh, they get to play each other later on down the road. It stinks to have 16 straight games, but it really stinks to have you know no fans at the game uh, because it's so dangerous and an absolutely ugly football game because no one can complete a pass. So uh, it's not a not a perfect situation, but uh, it's the best situation for them to move this football game. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Yep, definitely unfortunate, and uh, we're hoping that that hurricane diffuses a little bit, hopefully, before it hits land, and that Florida survives this thing because uh, we don't want another Harvey on our hands. You know, going back through your career, obviously, uh, there's one big game that stands out that we've talked about before, Vikings-Saints, and with Saints coming in on Monday, I think we, we could, should revisit that briefly here. 2009 NFC Championship game. I've always been curious... When you play football long enough, I'm sure that to some level the emotions sort of get taken out of it. Maybe you don't feel every loss quite as strongly as you once did. But that was, I think, your closest attempt to get to a Super Bowl. Was that a game where you left sort of feeling the brunt of those emotions? Was there sadness? Was there emptiness? Uh, What was that like? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think every time the Vikings play the Saints – this game is going to pop into a lot of Vikings' minds. I imagine when the Patriots play the Raiders, uh, they the the uh, the fumble play or or whatever the the tuck rule game comes to a lot of their minds, especially the uh, the Raiders uh, players. So it, it was that was a that was such a, a strange uh, feeling after that football game because we outplayed them. Uh, I think we almost doubled their yards. We we had about 500 yards of offense. I don't even think they had 300 yards. Uh, so we had a whole bunch of fumbles in that game. Uh, the the fans were were just absolutely incredible. I'd never seen anything like that before. People crying uh, in, in the bleachers and in, in the seats uh, in the Superdome. It was a very emotional football game and one of those that, uh, you, you know, not, I don't want to make a light of PTSD, but you almost feel like you have sort of like that type of reaction to it because, you know, for days and days you just can't stop thinking about that game. I just couldn't get out of my mind, and I'm sure almost all my teammates have that had that same feeling. It was just it was a once-in-a-lifetime type of game, and, and we were on the losing end of it. As more details came out about Bounty Gate and sort of the insidious nature of the way, you know, Greg Williams was instructing that defense and and the hits they laid on Brett, looking back, did you resent them at all in light of those details? No, not really. I mean, it didn't surprise me. Nothing really surprises me in the NFL. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still up to our guys to block them and and uh, you know and Brett to try to you know stay out of harm's way. So uh, it wasn't a surprise. No, I, I I did not, and you know I don't know how Brett feels about it or how some of the other players feel about it. I mean I think it's a BS moving. It's a dirty way to play the game, uh, but that stuff's been going on for for decades. Uh, these bounties. So even though uh, you can't imagine that going on now, I promise you, uh, in some DB room or in some linebacker room, you know, there's a bet between, you know, two or three or four guys that says, you know, whoever takes out the, the quarterback or whoever takes out this receiver who's been talking trash uh, is going to get, a, you know, 
thousand bucks or something. I promise that stuff's going on. I think what made it different on that team is it seemed like the coaching staff, in particular the defensive coordinator Greg Williams, uh, either had an idea that it was going on uh, or was actually was part of the the process of, of it going on. So I think that's what made it much more different than than everywhere uh, anywhere else that's ever happened. Uh, I don't think getting bounties. Uh, out of the NFL is, is ever gonna is ever going to happen. Uh, they, they they talk about it's brought up that uh, you, know, you can't have bounties on games. Your player as players, you're told that. Uh, but you know when when you have a say a wide receiver who's just a trash talker that nobody can stand, uh, you you got to get a DB room who you know wouldn't mind taking him out of the football game, and and uh, and that's how those bounty gate type of things happen. Mm-hmm. Last one on the game. So after the interception, the infamous. Brett Favre intended for Sidney Rice, picked off by Tracy Porter, interception. Did Brett come to the sideline? Did he have a remark about it? Did you overhear him say something? Or what was his take on the play? You know, Did he uh, see something that wasn't there on it? Well, th- that play, um, you know, we originally called the same play, and I, I think it was third and one or third and two um, you know, previously. And that's where we had, and we, we had called timeout and, and called that play, and we had 12 men in the huddle. And so we, we end up calling the exact same play, but but out of a uh, a different personnel group uh, the second time around. So this time we had a three wide receiver set where uh, the the fullback was taken out of the game, and now um, Bernard Baring was sort of in that in that spot in a, in a bunch set to the right. Um, once we went to that bunch set, the the defense checked out of a a, a blitz. It was a man to man blitz, and and, I, and I've heard some. Some some Saints uh, players talk about this in interviews and things, but they checked out of what what they had going on as a blitz because they were trying to keep us out of field goal range, and uh, they check into cover two, and um, th- that play is terrible for cover two. It's really meant for you know blitz type of situations or man to man situations where you can get sort of a uh, a, a nice robber legal pick um, in that bunch set, and um, so it was really the worst coverage for it. Brett came out and obviously. The fullback wasn't open, or, or Bernard Barron was not open in the flat because they had checked a cover two. There's a there's a cover two corner sitting out there waiting for it, and so then he rolled out of the pocket, and, and obviously everyone remembers that you know he, he could have probably ran for a first down. Seen a lot of green grass in front of him, and but uh, but he last second saw Sydney open, and he was open. That uh, that's for sure. He was open, and and Brett uh, just didn't put enough juice on it, and and sort of threw it behind him, and. And it, and it was intercepted. So, yeah, he came to the sideline, and I, th- I wrote that in the, that Sports Illustrated article that uh, we sat there, and, and nobody said anything for, for a while, I feel like, five minutes. He just, we're both sitting next on, on the Gatorade coolers and in front of the uh, in front of the bench there on the bench, and, and uh, as, as, as the other guys were walking out um, for the coin flip for overtime, Hutchinson and Ryan Longwell, I'm not sure what else, maybe Jared Allen, and uh, you know, Brett, you know, looked over to me, and, and he said that he choked. And uh, so that was uh, one of those moments I'll I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And he never got the ball back either. You know, that's before the modified overtime. Never got the ball back, and and you know, the, even the overtime was really weird. I mean, they got the ball first, obviously, and and uh, uh, there there were two or three it seemed like really bad calls. Chad Greenman had an unbelievable. Uh, you know, fourth down stop. We thought on that play, uh, Ben Lieber got called for an absolute pass interference on that play where there was no contact. Um, so there, there was it was a very very strange ending to that game. It almost 
just seemed like it, it wasn't meant to be, or, or you should say for the Saints fans, it was meant to be. It was destiny for them and, and uh, a much worse destiny for us. Wow. Well, I'm just emotional listening to you. It kind of brings it all back, and it doesn't seem like it was eight years ago, but it was, remarkably. It was that long ago that Vikings fans went through that, and they haven't been back to that type of game since then. A lot going on there, a lot of crazy, crazy elements of that game between the the bounty gate, the the officiating, the interception, uh, the fumbling. That was wild. And now Adrian Peterson in a Saints uniform, and on, on Monday you will come in here and... You know, I was just kind of crunching the numbers in my mind based on what we talked about yesterday and how he's going to be utilized. And, you know, the more I think about it, the more I just I think it's going to be really a timeshare between Mark Ingram. I think they've got a rookie they really like and Alvin Kamara, who's going to get some work. I think Adrian probably doesn't touch it more than a dozen times, to be honest with you. Um, And he's never been that strong in week one. Usually he takes a while to kind of get his rhythm in the season. Uh, He's never been a great out of the gate running back. So the more I think about it, the more I don't think it's going to be that big of an impact for Peterson. Yeah, I don't think so. And and also that offensive line is, is a better pass blocking offensive line than run blocking offensive line. Usually teams are better at one than the other. And when you have Drew Brees, a quarterback, you want to protect him. So uh, I, I can't imagine him having a having a, a big year running for a thousand yards. But I will say this, nothing surprises me. Uh, the fact that he's what, 32 or whatever he is, that doesn't really concern me uh, at all. Uh, he's one of those real freak of nature uh, type of type of players, type of athletes, and, and he could very easily have a good year uh, just because he is just so physically gifted and talented. He'll be one of those guys at 40 years old that could probably still run a 4-4-40. A so um, he's a, a tremendous athlete and, and uh, one of the great running backs in NFL history. Last one. What do you think about the top Saints wide receiver, Michael Thomas, former second-round pick, kind of became Drew Brees' favorite target right out of the gate. Do you have any thoughts on him? Well, if, he's a, if, if Drew Brees likes throwing to him, uh, number one, they're, they're good route runners. Uh, he, he's an accurate passer because he finds receivers that are accurate runners. And uh, that's hard to uh, describe the, the importance of, you know, guys that can get separation, guys that are fast, guys that can get on the field. That's all very, very important. But guys who run really, really precise routes and understand depth and timing uh, really help a quarterback be more precise. And, and that's how Drew Brees is a basically career 68% passer is because he finds receivers who are very good route runners. And, and, uh, and, the, and this wide receiver is definitely one of those. Who's playing on Thursday? Is it Patriots Chiefs? Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Patriots, uh, I believe it's the Chiefs' uh, first game of the year. So that should be a good one. Those are both very good teams, obviously. you oh, Almost always is this, this first game of the year when the defending Super Bowl champions start off the season. And uh, the Chiefs, uh, I wrote about them, or I wrote about the top eight teams uh, this week. You know, the Chiefs really do have one of the best teams in the NFL. They just don't... Uh, excite a lot of people because they don't have an exciting quarterback right now but uh you know alec or uh, alec smith wins football games and then patrick mahomes is this super talent uh waiting waiting in the wings and but the rest of their football team I, i'd probably put them as put them up with with anybody else in the nfl they are very talented in particular on defense 
and their skill positions on offense are, are absolutely phenomenal. Definitely a little underrated. Patriots, though, are favored by nine in that game. That's tomorrow night. The NFL kicks off. So we'll chat again on Friday, Sage. We'll maybe talk a little bit about that game, and we'll make our picks for Sunday's action. And then on Monday, we'll make our prediction for the Vikings-Saints game and talk about our X-Factors in that one. That works. Okay, it's Sage Rosenfels and Sam Ekstrom, an emotional lockdown Vikings reliving the harrowing 2009 NFC Championship game. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow on Locked on Vikings. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.